enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together. We're going to talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem, suggesting that you jerk off into a cup at the back <laughs> of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I, we're getting corporate from uh, 2016. It's the Belko Experiment. I got, two, I got two questions for you. One is just kind of a haha. Uh, got any coworkers that you take uh, take out <laughs> if you needed to? Yeah, I, I guess I, yeah, I need to. I'm in. I am in management, so I need to tread lightly here. Um, you know, the, well, I can say that there in the past there have been sure, yeah, and I for whatever reason I keep a screwdriver in my drawer, <laughs> and I literally had an instance where I thought I was going to have to like pull that out and stab this guy in the neck. Like <laughs> it was a new hire; he had been there for two days and absolutely went off on somebody and stood up and got in their face and started screaming. I don't know what the guy was on or what, Jeez. but I literally almost grabbed that screwdriver and ran up there and handled business. Like it was, it was scary. Like he was, he was a, a really huge dude and was screaming at this guy who literally did nothing but just say like, Hey, if you need me to show you something, just let me know and I'll, I'll help you out. Got in his face. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, Tony. You're telling me you, I don't know what the, how to do my fucking job. And, and like literally got in his oh face and was God. screaming. He'd been there for two days. He's no uh, longer. Yes, part he's of no your lo- job is not doing this. Yeah, he's no longer with the company. Good, good, good. yeah, right. good to hear. Because <laughs> that was his first strike. What were his other two? <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Yeah, just the the first threat on the man's life was as he did three all three strikes right in a row. Oh, okay, good. by threatening somebody's life three times. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's funny. What's your favorite social experiment? I bet you know a good uh, chunk of like some fun experiments. Well, probably. Um, because I feel like it's been built on a lot in in um, popular media and, and films and, and television shows. I'm very interested in those CIA experiments uh, with uh, LSD. Oh, um, and you know, it's I'm a huge fan of the movie Firestarter, um, and so that whole idea of people, you know, whether it's consensual or not, like dosing people with you know, if, if anyone has ever had any experience with LSD, I mean, it's it's a an aggressive drug. Yeah, <laughs> um, it can be. So to put somebody then <laughs> keep in mind, this isn't somebody being given LSD like in the, the summer of love, 1969 or, you know, 1977 with some black lights and some, you know, velvet posters on the wall. This is the 50s. Yeah. So nobody has any sort of like fun Ooh, i can see the colors of the music coming off the stage there's no association with that it's just i have lost my mind yeah um so i think that that's interesting i'm not really sure what to what end well, they generally said i mean i remember those yeah and yeah it was the general consensus was uh i felt really good and at peace and they were like well we better make this illegal <laughs> yeah, right they're like we're trying to make a weapon here for christ's <laughs> right. sake yeah like is there anything bad that happened 
Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of oh, interesting. Man, you realized your one singular point in the universe and then what you do detrimentally has no effect on the outcome of everything <laughs> and that everything doesn't surround around you? Shit! <laughs> you know what, though? I This isn't really a social uh, experiment, but something that I thought was neat that it was used so publicly was that um, I believe it was BTK, uh, the uh, Dennis, what's, whatever his name is, Dennis... I can't remember his last name, yeah. the, the BTK killer. Um, there were a pair of glasses that were left behind at one of the murders. And I thought it was really interesting that the FBI stepped in and used subliminal messaging on uh, commercials or like uh, news reports for BTK. So while they would show this, um, you know, kind of call out to to the public to say, you know, if you have any information or whatever, please contact such and such. And then they flashed up for a sp- like a half a second, a picture of a very simple black and white picture of glasses frames. Uh-huh. And it just said, call the chief on it. And it was it was just a subliminal thing so that if he was watching because they figured he's going to know he left his glasses. And so we're going to put in this little subliminal message to say, like, turn yourself in. Yeah. We have your glasses. Yeah. And I think that's really kind of fucking cool that they did that on national that television. I mean, it didn't work. No, no, it <laughs> at didn't all. at all. No, no. I mean, that guy could have just kept going forever. But no. uh, but um, yeah, I think I think that kind of stuff. For Pat Oswalt's wife to write a book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but, you know, that's um, I think that stuff is interesting. I think the I, I guess you would say experiments having to do with like uh, mind control and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the Milgram experiment? Is that the one? Is that the one where? Um, oh, God, I think that was the one that I wanted to bring up during one of our shows. And I don't remember what movie it was that we were covering. Oh, but it was something related to or tell me what it was again. It's the one. So it's like. Like I, I administer to you like five words and you have to repeat them back to me. And if you get any of those words wrong, I give you an electric shock. Oh, yeah. Okay, I control that, the yeah. electric shock. Yeah, that was. And yeah. then each time we up it a little bit. But of course, the person was not getting shocked. The whole experiment was, will this person, because authority told him to do this, yeah. keep doing it? Man, some of those are awesome. Like there's one where a guy just breaks down. He's like, I can't do this because you hear the guy screaming because they're in a like another room <laughs> right right so you can hear through the wall like oh god no <laughs> and but at the same time there's another guy who just fucking goes through like a robot is just like <laughs> says the five words he gets no response like the guy's not even screaming anymore it's like he's fucking dead <laughs> and he'll just like click click okay ball barrel umbrella you know so that's yeah. messed up. Yeah, they're like, uh, sign this guy up for corporate CEO, please. Like, he's got all the makings. Yeah. Like, that's the guy <laughs> yeah, we need. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but uh, I love social. Experience. No, that's that is that is interesting. That's not the one I was thinking of, and I have to try and remember. There's another one I really like. I was trying to writing some of them down. There's the Ash Conformity Experiment. Man, if this one hasn't played out in real life over the last two years, uh, of people who just go along with a group. So it's like. The whole the experiment would be they hold up a card, right? And there are three just vertical lines on it uh-huh. of different lengths. And they're just labeled A, B, and C. And there's like a panel of eight people. Seven of them are in the are part of the experiment. The eighth guy 
is the person being experimented on. Got it. And then like the instructor would be like, what's the longest line on this chart? And everyone would give a wrong answer. So then it would come down to the guy, which because they're very obvious, correct answers. It's not like they're off by a millimeter or something. They're like drastically different lengths. Yeah. And so then when it gets down to the last guy, will he be like, all these idiots are wrong. It's B is the longest one because they're all like C. Yeah. Or will it get to him and he'll go, you see, like, I must be crazy. Yeah. Everyone oh, else is saying this. Yeah. yeah. That one's really cool. Uh, This one doesn't really tie into this type of movie, but one that uh, my wife and I really like. They did a documentary on it called A Class Divided. Uh-huh. This was more during the uh, uh, civil rights era. So this is like 1950s, 1960s. And uh, it was just a woman in her classroom. She taught elementary school class. And she was like, okay, today I wanted to tell you something. Uh, I want you to know that everyone with blue eyes is awesome and way better than everyone with brown eyes. <laughs> and that's pretty much all she had to say. And those fucking kids, all the blue eyed kids tormented the brown eyed kids for <laughs> the rest of the day. And then like after intermission, or <laughs> intermission recess uh she was like actually i was wrong the brown-eyed people are the superior people especially to the blue-eyed people and then just how quickly the brown-eyed kids gained that power and were able to then fucking squash the blue-eyed kids fascinating wow yeah really scary stuff yeah all you need is just a little encouragement that's it you, know? you need someone to tell you it's okay right to act yeah. this way right yeah, to tell you what you want to hear, which is, yeah, I'm I'm better. Yeah. You know, uh, that's interesting. Um, I, I remember there's one. I wish I had a few more specifics on it, but I remember one that had to do with. Um, I think they were talking about like sounds and different tones and how those can manipulate people. And I don't remember exactly how they pulled this off. I'm going to have to research it and then, you know, maybe uh, speak to it more intelligently in another episode. But there was literally something where in an office building. They somebody brought in cake to like a one floor of the office building uh-huh. and then they used I don't know if it was through the phone or if it was through some speaker system, but they used some sort of subliminal message to tell people on like the fifth floor to bring a piece of cake to somebody on the 10th floor. And they but it wasn't just like a, a voice saying, bring a piece right. of cake. <laughs> it was like some sort of I don't know if it was through. I mean, it would have to be words because how are you just going to pick that up from tones? Yeah. But it was or I don't know if it was buried under Sug- other audio. Yeah. But they all did it. Or just suggestive thing like, oh, man, no one on the 10th floor getting any cake. Well, yeah, that would and be a, the that, altruistic. Well, that they're would only be, telling people on the fifth floor. So those altruistic fifth floor people were like, I'll go down and get them. So. Right. Well, that that would be an interesting one in and of itself. But this was like literally. No, it was it was just the subliminal message. And I, I don't know how it was delivered, yeah. but they delivered some subliminal message to people to say, take a piece of cake to somebody on the 10th floor. Yeah. And they did it. So, yeah, all, all you need is just a little encouragement, a little push. Yeah. Yeah. Another one that kind of does conform with this movie. Did you ever hear the San, the Stanford prison experiment? No. Uh-uh. They took a bunch of just like Stanford students. All students who pretty much knew each other. I mean, not like it wasn't like a core group of buddies who knew each other, but 
peers. Yeah. Brought them to a prison that was not being used. And they were like, okay, this group, you're guards. This group, you're prisoners. Go. And the kids who became guards tortured the fuck out of the prisoners. Like, harshly. Wow. And they just kind of let it run. I don't think there were any deaths, but definitely, like, sleep deprivation, food deprivation, like, solitary confinement stuff, hosing them down, like, just brutal stuff. Jeez. Where just you give someone an ounce of power and tell them it's okay, they'll run wild with it. Maybe we're not as far. And especially in a group, if it's a group of people. Maybe we're not as far away from our animal instincts as we like to think we are or maybe the suppression of those instincts are driving us to like once all we need is somebody to say like hey it's okay to go bite that guy's throat out right like oh really i've been waiting my whole life i can't wait um because i know that's wrong yeah but if you say it's okay part of me (laughs) right right look cool right you read my mind um yeah. The, oh, you know what? I, I do kind of remember what I, the one I was trying to think of now, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was when we were covering Shutter Island. Okay. And it was an experiment where um, a group of people had been sent to a, uh, like a, whatever the nice word is for a psychiatric facility. Okay. Uh-huh. Like a live-in psychiatric hospital. And they were told to demonstrate behavior based on like a specific mental illness, schizophrenia or whatever. And um, so they would be sort of uh, analyzed by these uh, these intake psychologists or psychiatrists, and then they would be given, you know, a, a like a diagnosis or whatever. And they, I think they acted, they continued that for like maybe it was a short amount of time, like two days, maybe a day or two. And then we're told, you know, by the person conducting the experiment to completely drop the act and just be totally normal. Right. And even though they did that and i and i think that they were there for i want to say 2 weeks so you've got like 2 days of crazy behavior and then you have you know the remainder of 2 weeks so the facilitators didn't know no okay no they didn't know so but what happened was is that all of them despite these people now showing absolutely zero signs of schizophrenia or anything like that um they still continued to suggest that they needed medication and that they needed to stay there even though they were demonstrating no no qualities of, of yeah. anybody that was hindered by that at all. So I, I, I don't know. It's a little manipulative. Yeah. You that's know? not. The, it's <laughs> when, when was this too? Cause our, you know, psychiatric institutions don't <laughs> they, have the uh, best reputation. No. So I'm going to say, yeah, we've come a long way. We'll say that now. Now let's talk when about the mental health. Let's talk about the real social E word that we've got going on here. And that is, our differing pronunciations of the word oh, experiment. God, I did it again, didn't I? <laughs> but you're but look, in this movie, there is someone that says experiment and somebody that says experiment. I say experiment. Now, what's funny is I've talked to three other people in my life and asked them this question this week, and they say experiment, like you do. And I'm like, where did this come from? It's an E. It's experiments. It's you know, regional dialects. But, but then I groceries. I did look it up. Groceries, I guess. Both are accepted. Sure. 
Um, I kind of feel like mine is a little bit more the front runner of the two, but yeah, both are, you know, Yeah, if you were to write it out phonetically, I'm sure yours is like, yeah, but no one's like, yeah, I did an experiment. And they're like, you did a what? <laughs> right. You're talking Chinese. Like a type of car or something. <laughs> yes. Experiment or experiment. Yeah. Well, experiment. Hey, I'm going to, man, I totally forgot that you had pointed out. I said that wrong. <laughs> you know, I wonder but- how many times this week. The, I my, my, experiment. I, I told I asked my daughter and she says experiment. She said, well, how do you say it? And I said, experiment. And she's like, you sound like a psychopath. <laughs> and I'm like, it's how you say it. Like, that's the way you say it. But yeah, experiment makes me sound like the asshole. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's fine. I'll correct anyone on the difference between uh, fewer and less. So, you know, we all have our hangups. Fewer and less. Yeah. What, what's the what's the difference? Uh, fewer is uh, if if it's a uh, very specific numbered thing, less if it's a broad thing. So I have fewer minutes to do something. I have less time. Oh, okay. Okay. What about further and farther? I don't know. One has to do specifically with distance, and one has to do with just sort of... It's probably pretty similar. Like, yeah. One has to do with like measurable distance the other one has to do more with like the idea yeah, farther from the truth right right yeah or is it further from the truth great question <laughs> yeah i don't interesting, know interesting. <laughs> there are people literally screaming into their yeah, cars the, right what now movie did you do <laughs> tim what movie did we do well it's either the belco <laughs> experiment or experiment depending i mean it's E-X-P- you watch the belco E-R-I. experiment I don't know where you're getting this A sound. No, it's experiment is E X P E R exper uh and then it's got no, an e. e listen, Tim. Well, this is how the word is spelled. E X P E R I M E N T. Experiment. 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 Yeah, yeah, but it's the it's the P Peer. It's the P Experiment. Experiment. Anyway. <laughs> So this week we did the Velcro people have already turned off the episode. It's experiment fine. Yeah. from 2016. This was written by James Gunn. It's our second James Gunn movie. Well, written by movie directed by Greg McLean. It stars John Gallagher Jr. Tony Goldwyn, Aria Arjona. Let's go with Ariona. Ariona. Okay. Uh, I had a budget of five mil pulled in 11, okay. which I was shocked to hear. This was even in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's do nan some and then we'll get into some spoilers <laughs> or spoilers however uh it's a normal day for the employees at bogota colombia based belco industries everything except for the new guard stationed out front and how most of their local co-workers have been sent home and how that voice over the loudspeaker just told everyone they had to murder two of their co-workers now, mid-manager Mike Milch must avoid a handful of bloodthirsty work friends and try to get his team to safety before they all become another statistic in the Belco experiment. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> and also, you know, well-written, too. But, yeah, yeah. thank you for the pronunciation. Um, I saw this movie in the theater. I did. You I, did? I did. I saw it in the theater. Where? And in Valpo. Wow. Yeah, in, in our hometown. Um, well, no, I guess that cat's out of the bag now. We live in Valparaiso, I believe it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I saw it in the theater. And uh, again, though, I, I mentioned it in either the last episode or the episode before. Uh, 
being a fan of the uh, I kind of rattled the name off, but it, it, it's kind of an unusual name. So I'll say it a little bit slower. It's a, a magazine called Rue Morgue. So R-U-E second word morgue. And um, when you read a publication like that, I mean, you're it's almost annoying. You're finding out about movies like two years before they come out. So like you practically forget that you even read about it by the time it actually makes it to theaters. But because um, I think this one actually was released in the festival circuit at least a year ahead of time, if not two, maybe a year. Um, so I was really, really waiting for it. And when it came out, I was, I, I jumped at the chance, which is a good thing. Cause it didn't stick around long. No, um, th- there was next to no one else in there, but, uh, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, and, uh, and now I've had a couple repeat viewings and, and I still really like it. Um, I think that if nothing else, it deserves more attention for just being a, sort of unique i mean it's not like there aren't similar concepts with like battle royale yeah. or hunger games or what have you the idea of a group of people being forced to kill yeah. you know others but um but it's got a, a different feel i think a fresh feel doesn't i mean how many slashers or horror movies do you see that take place in an office building well i mean that's true but that might be the only difference <laughs> that's fair that's kind of my issue with the movie Okay. Some cool parts. I did like the movie. We'll yeah. say that. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, so many missed opportunities. Uh, I mean, I do kind of like this idea of the, you know, corporate people having to do it. It's, you know, it's so much better if it's like people that wouldn't have to do it. So then some of my issues in this movie, some of these characters are like ex-military trained killers. So I'm like, well, of course, those guys What's the, ex- listen, I'm yeah. not even going to really try and think about it. The more I look at the spelling, you're right, experiment, whatever. <laughs> okay. The, but, you know, what's the experiment here? Will these uh, psycho military guys kill people? Yeah. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah, they're trained to do that. Yeah. That's their job or and was their job. And they do end up killing a majority of the people. Now, what's interesting about that, though, and this is, this is where I think, where the movie does have some success and probably could have taken this even further. Um, James Gunn, when he came up with this, I think this this intro story is is pretty neat and it's it's very simple. Yeah. He, he dreamt it. Right. He literally woke up from from a dream and had dreamt um, not only like the the storyline, but he sort of like literally dreamt the trailer. Um, so the idea of people being trapped in a building and there being like steel doors or shutters that close all around them and then they have to kill each other. Yeah. Um, which you don't get much more out of this movie than what you see in the trailer. Yeah. I will say that. that yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. You're, I, yeah. You know exactly what you're saying. And part of me likes that because I like how how straightforward like you get all the visuals and bits. Right. But I wasn't like, oh, shit, here's a turn I wasn't expecting. That's true. Yeah, it does. And and I don't know. I part of me likes that because I'm I'm not sure how much of I'm not sure if that would have taken away from the plausibility of of the movie happening. So I guess what I'm saying is if you get all these people trapped in a, this place and their li- their lives are being threatened, if they don't take the lives of other people, would there be much of an arc in the or in the happenings within that building? Right. Probably not a whole lot. It would right. probably heavily revolve around the killing. But uh, <laughs> but but I hear what you're saying where it does feel um, 
It's like it's like when when you order an Italian beef and the meat is fine and the cheese is fine and the peppers are there and everything, but they didn't really go with the Italian seasoning, <laughs> which is the whole fucking reason why it's called an Italian beef in the first place. Um, so maybe what you're saying is that you were missing a little bit of that extra seasoning, like some some other layer there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, like yeah, this is fair. a movie because yeah, he came up with this in a dream. Uh, then it kind of went nowhere. And then he's working on Guardians of the Galaxy, and someone's like, hey, remember that movie you pitched us? Do you want to do that? And he's like, well, I'm really busy. Here's my script still. He did ask for total creative control. I don't know how much he did as a producer on that or right. how involved he even was. It was probably like, let me hire a guy who I uh, have confidence in and don't get in his way. Right. This Tony uh, or uh, Greg McLean. Yeah. McLean? McLean? Uh, it depends on the accent, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, but, but I no. need to get another lecture yeah. to. And that, <laughs> and that, and that director, um, uh, we're going to go, let's go with McLean. Okay. Okay. Um, he's known mainly for Wolf Creek, which is, uh, was a pretty well celebrated Australian horror movie that has yeah, that's to do what with, I've always wanted to see. Yeah. Three backpackers get terrorized by a guy that kidnaps them and tortures them and all that stuff. So, um, that made a lot of noise on the festival circuit and, and, and even in its, its limited release. So yeah, he probably trusted him to be able to, to pick up on the psychological angles of this. What's really interesting though, is that like. Yes, he was busy with Guardians, but I think when it, when they were very first talking about it, like, hey, let's let's take this to the to the screen. MGM is is interested. Let's let's do this. He's like, I just got divorced. Right. Yes. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that the best environment for me is to go to Columbia for two months and film a movie about people having to kill people that they love and care for. No, <laughs> right. like, let me process so um so yeah but i think that that's cool that ultimately you know for him to be like yeah i i have this project i really care about it but um yeah let, let somebody else you know take a crack at it yeah and that's Which where I would, there's you know i would have loved to have seen the james gunn directed version of this movie i would have too because i believe just from some things that i've read that the movie that was on the page while not entirely different from what's on the screen that I believe that the director was reading some of, of his interpretations into it, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with, uh, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. With, I mean, <laughs> the, the, if, if Stephen King doesn't think the shining is what the shining should be, well, I like what it is. So right. I'm fine with that. Um, and that's okay. Now the direction we'll get into this more as we get into the movie, the direction that the director took with it, isn't necessarily my favorite. I think it's a little less. He he went for more of like, I guess it would be the political angle. I think James Gunn was going more for just like the human psychology angle, which I think is more interesting yep. than kind of saying good guy. Like I'm going to pick the good guys and I'm going to pick the bad guys and and I'm going to kind of base it on you know political leanings. Um, which even though in the movie there's really no talk of that, but no. it's just sort of implied that. You know, these people might be the sort of people that you would associate with the right or the left or, yeah. or what have you. And I guess there's some truth to that um, in the movie with, yeah. with how these characters behave. But we, what's really cool is that. And this is this was a hard kind of uh, our tall you know hill to climb for this movie is that from a visual standpoint, it is as. Just about as stark 
as any color movie could be. And (laughs) it has a very, I'm sure, intentional color palette of red, white, and blue. And uh, also with grays and and blacks, but there are no pastels in this movie. Yeah, there are. There's no softness. There's no prettiness. There's no cuteness. It's it's very. Where is the blue in this movie? All people's uh, ties, their 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 uh, costume, or oh, costume. Okay. yeah, yeah. They're they're yeah, a lot of white, a lot of white. Yeah, yeah. You're movie. right, and it and it's almost kind of uh, overwhelmingly white. It is. There is a it's lot like of a that. 1950s basketball team. Yeah, really. Yeah. And right. And uh, um, yeah, when they still pass the ball. And uh, they, <laughs> not, that's got nothing to do with race. It's just how oh, the game is different. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, so <laughs> anyhow, yeah. So what you've got here is you've got a really, really stripped down, muted color palette. But I think that they did that on purpose, not just through some metaphor for red, white, and blue, but also just to really focus on the people. Um, and that's where this movie succeeds because we got a, a lot of really good actors. Here. Oh, my God. Stacked yeah. cast. Oh, absolutely. Well, who, here's who the, are some of your favorites? Well, yeah, that, that's what was funny because when I because I, I like knew this movie existed and I'd seen the trailer a couple of times, but that had been years ago, like when it came out. So then rewatching the trailer, I was like, oh, man, David Dasmalshian and Michael Rooker in this movie. Like, oh, they were both like in Suicide Squad. That's crazy. And then I see Sean Gunn for a brief second. In the trailer, I'm like, wait, Sean Gunn is in this? Is James Gunn associated with this movie? And I'm like, oh, sure enough, he wrote it. Finally, we get some validation for doing the Suicide Squad <laughs> yeah, on this exactly, show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a stable. Uh, a staple of our show. <laughs> He has a stable of actors. <laughs> anyway. Yes. I know uh, what you meant. But yeah. So, but yeah, some of my favorites. I mean, yeah. Loved Michael Rooker. He went far too soon, but in a great way. Yeah. See, this movie starts with such good kills and then turns to shit as far as kills go. And then at the end, we get some good kills. But man, there's so much. There's so much meat missing from my Italian beef sandwich. <laughs> right, right, right. There was, yeah, yeah it's was missing seasoning, but it was pretty skimpy on the meat in the middle. <laughs> like the edges, it looks like it's sticking out the sides, but once you get into that sandwich, <laughs> not a lot in the middle. Uh, but yeah, Michael Rooker was great. Sean Gunn is really hilarious in this movie. Uh, I liked uh, what's that, John Gallagher Jr., who... I've only seen in a couple other things. He was in that Hush movie, yeah, which I fucking hated. That movie's awful. I haven't seen that. Oh god, that was one of those movies where people are like everyone's talking about this movie on Netflix called Hush. It's one of the scariest movies you've ever seen in your life. I was like, well, I'm gonna check it out. I was like, this is d- dumb, so dumb, <laughs> so stupid. Well, you know what I didn't know about that guy is that he's like, oh, just wildly prolific theater actor. Yeah, yeah, I didn't Musical know that. Musical theater. Yeah. Which never comes across in anything. He does not sing in, in this movie. movie. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> You're right. Uh, you know, he is a cute guy, a charming guy. He looks a little like a rat, but yeah, um, like a mouse. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like, I was like, man, just for like a manager, they just let him go nuts with his haircut. Right. Just like, yeah, you can come in looking like you just woke up. No problem. Well, let, let me ask. And that's true. He does. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this. It was driving me nuts, and there's really no satisfaction to this this thing that I was going through watching um, the the character of Mike Milsh. Uh, Milsh, 
Uh, speaking of white, Milch is German for milk. So oh. I mean, maybe there's something there. Uh, but yeah, this uh, John Gallagher Jr. So I'm looking at his face and the feeling that I had was this looks like somebody that I know that I saw in a movie as maybe like a kid or a teenager. But now so I sort of recognize him, but he's. 15 years older now, yeah. but it, it wasn't any of that, no. like, but there's something very familiar about like his that face Hush movie was one of the first movies he did, but doesn't he look familiar? Like, yes. he, like he reminds me of, I'm like, what character in what movie does, or what show does he remind me of? And, uh, I could never put my finger on it, but I had seen him in, um, what is that? What are those movies called? Uh, Cloverfield. Clo- yes. Okay. He's so, in, uh, 12 Cloverfield Lane, whatever Cloverfield, whatever. Ten, the, yeah. 10, ten Cloverfield yeah. Lane. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I, but he's just got God, this that movie rules. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty cool ass. Oh movie. my God. That I was again, John Goodman robbed oh, of any sort of nomination or acknowledgement for his fucking superior acting. That is a national treasure, that guy. And I mean, I will say that till the end of time, like John Goodman can do absolutely no wrong. What a, what a unique, whether it's his stature or his delivery or his ability to be like bombastic and, and terrifying or like the most thoughtful and endearing guy in the world. He's, yeah. he's fucking awesome. He's yeah. not in this movie. No, <laughs> I wish he was, but yeah. Uh, but no, he's, he's fantastic. And but yeah, John Gallagher jr. Was in that. Um, yeah. He just has a real familiar vibe to him. And I think he does a really nice job with his role because his role is kind of, you know, the voice of reason. He's the one kind of, talking people off the ledge, trying to, um, A, bring awareness to a situation that he feels is is not being handled with the right amount of attention or seriousness, and B, once that is acknowledged, trying to keep things cool. So yeah. he is kind of like the uh, the measured hand throughout the, the most of the movie. Yeah. Um, and he's likable, and um, what this movie does really well, there's not a ton of setup in this movie, um, the hints that they give you about who these characters are, I think, are done very well. Because it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to know when a guy is a douchebag. Right. And, like, if he, you know, you just see, like, a guy, maybe he's looking at a girl in a sort of pervy oh, yeah. way. John C. McGinley, three <laughs> seconds into this movie, you're like, that guy will meet a horrible death, and I can't wait for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Does he ever? Uh, um, but yeah, but they, they, but they establish all that. They establish that Mike is kind of this, you know, a little bit sloppy, but but kind and and loving guy. And when people say hi to him, or when he says hi to people in the office, it seems genuine. Yeah. Um, and then you yeah, could, he's got a good rapport with the security guy. Like, right. Yeah. The security guy looked excited to see Mike. Right, exactly. And everybody else is, yeah, we're able to see like, okay, this guy's a douchebag. This guy is kind of a company guy. This guy's sort of bookish and nervous. Um, They really established that without really needing to sit down and have full scenes with these people. So they do that really quickly and really well. Yeah. So that's effective. Um, My favorite character in this movie is kind of, I, I mean, John C. McGinley takes the cake for being the most inarguable, out-and-out bad person. Right. But I really... And probably love, memorable guy. He, yes. But I really love Tony Goldwyn in this. He's as, the most complex character yes. in the movie, for sure. And Tony Goldwyn, we were talking about this earlier. I Fresh sh- face to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His, no, nobody, guy who scraped and clawed his way to the top. Nobody did anything for this guy. <laughs> did it all himself. 
along with his great-great-grandpa, who is Samuel Goldwyn, who started one of the largest production houses in Hollywood history. Um, now, I will say, he's very good. Like, I've yes. never been like, Tony Goldwyn sucks and only got there, you know. Well, would you like to know, Bridge Episode, where he got his start? His first- Oh, I know where he st- got his okay. start, Tim. You don't leave home without this <laughs> memory. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Friday the 13th, part six. Yeah. And he does even make an impression in that. It's a small role. Yeah. But I mean, like, you feel the, the tension of the situation. And um, he's great in that. But this guy sealed his fate, rightly or wrongly. I mean, good, bad, or otherwise, as just such a believable asshole in the movie Ghost. Yes. As the bad guy in Ghost, like, <laughs> he just sold his soul to the devil. Like, basically, the devil's like, I will make you a famous actor uh, if your grandpa and great-grandpa and mom and dad and everybody else in your family don't. But if they fail Brother. to come through, <laughs> I will do it for you, but you just have to be seen as, like, a despicable human being in all of your the rest of your roles. Yeah. Um, but I think he is one of those guys that kind of almost similar to Michael Rooker in a way to where you could go either way with them. They look like they could be a really bad person or yeah. they might be a really kind person. Michael Rooker's fascinating. Cause he, yeah, in a lot of movies you're just like, this guy is a horrible scum bum. Yeah. Dangerous guy. And then you'll watch him do an interview and he's wearing like the most garish and flamboyant clothes. <laughs> right. You're just like this guy dresses like us, like an actor. You know, where you're just like, oh, they just wear whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who, who would put that outfit together other than someone with the confidence of, yeah. like, Nicholas I make Cage. movies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, but no, but yeah. So Tony Goldwyn. Um, so on both sides, on, on his dad's side, he um, you you can't literally you can't throw a dart at his family tree and not hear not hit somebody that's that's connected. They're either producers, actresses. Most of his grandparents and mom were all actresses. Um, his maternal grandpa wrote the screenplay for Gone with the Wind and won an Academy Award. Yeah. Um, and then that grandma on that side was an actress. I mean, there was just, it's just, and then he was related to some governor of Maryland. Like, I mean, absolutely as connected as all get out. But you have to think, if he got his start in Friday 6, like, maybe he did kind of go on his own. I'm sure yeah. he had a little help here he and there. Get, like, starring role right away. But yeah, he is excellent in this. His his character of Barry Norris is, like you said, he's probably the most complex because he does have that special forces training. He is the one that is ultimately in charge of the business. Now, kind of like when we covered The Mist, you've got that sort of ethical question of if there is a an emergency that takes place within a place of business, do does the hierarchy carry over right. to the emergency? And um, so if the if you're the store manager of the grocery store in the mist and shit hits the fan, are you still the one in charge? Right. Or d- d- does that do you does your skills as a grocery store manager not apply at all to a situation of a tentacled beast in the mist? Right. Uh, <laughs> it's fair. Um, but but yeah. yeah, that example is way more ambiguous. This is like, hey, this is a wor- hey, employees here. Right. Kill each other. Right. So exactly. So what's what's interesting is, is that. Whereas you believe that John C. McGinley, who I think it was an excellent choice, mainly probably on James Gunn's part when when writing the the screenplay, John C. McGinley, who is the most bloodthirsty, truly bloodthirsty, really relishing it. 
um, goes nearly mute in the second half of the movie. Yeah. Like, and, and that's really effective because it's really like he devolves into some more just instinctual animal. Yeah. Um, he works at Cleaver so well. Oh yeah, he does. Oh, yeah. You could tell he had fun that day. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like almost like you can picture him at home, just watching TV and playing with a Cleaver. <laughs> right, like practicing Casey never needs around. those skills. Um, but, uh, but this Barry Norris character played by, by Tony Goldwyn, um, even though he's the one, and we should probably get into a little bit of of these series of our ever increasing higher stakes of what this mysterious voice over the PA is telling these people to do, that he's the one that is is the first to broach the subject of maybe we have to follow these instructions so that things don't get worse. And but the thing is, is that he never enjoys what he does. Right. And he plays that very, very well. And, and it's almost, even though it's kind of like easier to just be like, Oh, that Barry Norris, he's the bad guy. You can see that he's struggling with it. Yeah. And I really liked that. I yeah. thought that was really interesting. He's a company man. Right. To the bitter fucking end. And he's just <laughs> thinking he's just crunching numbers. Like he's the COO. Like, so his whole job is, you know, hearing from the owners of the company to say, how can we maximize? How can we optimize? How can we make it better? What's our best chance? Assess the risk, all that stuff. Like that's his whole life. So he's just trying to the best of his ability, not to say that there aren't some selfish motives in there, but trying to figure out like, what is the, the, the least casualty choice that we can make here. Yeah. Um, But let's talk a little bit about that voice over the intercom. Okay. First of all, if you had the means to entirely take over a, uh, a large office building in a foreign country, you would think that you would install a PA system that didn't squeal oh with feedback God. every time. Yeah, it you... sounds like they just like ran a few <laughs> rotted wires. Yeah. It's like an old 1950s yeah, <laughs> military base loudspeaker. Right. But what's nice. <laughs> feedback. Yeah. But it's nice because it is jarring every time it comes on. Um, so that part's a maybe that's neat. part of it. Maybe that's part of the social experiment. It could be, could be. Um, so when that voice comes on, like you said earlier, the first instruction is just to your everybody is instructed to kill. Is it everyone is instructed to kill two people, or yeah. do you just want two people? No, told? everyone must kill two people. Right, which is like mathematically impossible. Right. Yeah. Right. So they just want to get the party started quickly. Yeah. And um, so that kind of that ups the stakes. And I really love when that is first announced, they made the the really neat choice of having most people's reaction to it kind of like they're chuckling. Right. They're laughing like what kind of little team building experience is this going to (laughs) be? You know, this is different. Um, But we have we, we should backtrack a little bit. We have kind of a different setup in general here because. The, the film was was made in Bogota that takes place in Bogota, Colombia, and it's this large, you know, sort of very upright, multi-floored, a rectangular office building. Super CGI building. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> that took middle. a little out. Of, I mean, it's it doesn't look like a CGI blob, but you're yeah. just like, that's a CGI building. Right, right. And um, but I'll tell you what's funny when the experiment kicks in kind of took me back to texas chainsaw massacre nothing has a more dramatic effect than a steel door (laughs) or shutter slamming like that will forever be the most definitive way to like close something off 
Um, so yeah, these these steel shutters close. Oh, and we the- should also point out, like, when you go to work at this company. So the company itself, yeah, they're they're located in Colombia, but they are they facilitate to provide American workers for other businesses in Colombia. Right, like, that's what the Belco. Yes. So it's like if business you're, does. If you're a company that says we're going to relocate to Colombia because it's going to like save us a bunch of money, but we're an American company, so we probably want to have some Americans down there so yeah. we can communicate with them. They're they're going to find you those people. Yeah. Right. But they and they treat you well. They yeah. like you get a company car, you get you are set for an apartment. You know, yeah. Apartment, yeah. Yeah, like there we we do get to see one new hire. Yeah. Uh Danny uh-huh. And she, you know, yeah, she. it's like, here's the key to your apartment. Here's the key to your car. And they are like, look, we did place a tracker at the base of your skull uh, <laughs> just because, you know, in case you're kidnapped or something like that, because Colombians can be pretty weird. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a very important piece yeah, of yeah. business that they do have this like, which, you know, they probably handle that pretty well, because if they had really dwelled on that tracker, it would kind of take the plausibility out of it. Right. And I but, don't think they say base of the skull even. They're just yeah. like, you're you're fitted with a tag. Yeah. So that you could be found. Yeah. In you went, case you, of we'll send you to the doctor. He puts in this little tracker. That way, if you get kidnapped, that don't worry, we'll find you exactly where you are. <laughs> right. So that kind of, I guess, in a way is sort of reassuring. Like, well, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> right. Now, you know, maybe if they told me about the kidnapping before I came down here, I would have <laughs> maybe chosen another job. But, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it turns out though the tracker is also a bomb. Yes, little right. Suicide Squad. I wonder if this is like where James Gunn was like, I had a lot of fun blowing people's heads up. Yeah, maybe I should do Suicide Squad. I'll tell you what they. Uh, I mean the the carnage of the the blown up heads is pretty awesome. Really awesome. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, so now the stakes are higher because this voice is telling you to that you have to kill your coworkers, friends, and coworkers. And also, if you don't comply with things that, you know, you could have your head explode from the inside. Yeah, they so pop a few heads early just to let everyone know. Right. And it's pretty neat. It's it's a neat way to go because it's so brutal. It's so immediate. You get nice blood splatter all over the place. Um, I really enjoyed, even though it's it's unsettling, I really enjoyed that part after the first head explosion where uh, uh, James Gunn's brother, his character, is uh, really in a state of shock and is saying like a woman is helping wash it out of his hair and off his clothes. And, and he's just like, did you get it all off of me? Is it all off of me? And he's like really panicking. Yeah. And, um, and it, yeah, it's because previously he's the super chill guy. Like he's getting high at work. Yeah. They, you know, they go up to the roof to try and get help. And he's already up there with uh Kubiak from uh, Parker Lewis. Can't lose. He's the only, that's the only thing I remember him from. But he's been in a million things <laughs> yeah, like this he has. big, like sort of like, I don't want to say he was in ER for a while. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. Really recognizable guy. Uh, but yeah. And he's just like, guys, this is all, you know, it's just like corporate trying to like figure out management or whatever, you know, and he's like, just enjoy your free day off. Bop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lady next to him's head explodes. Oh, it's like, awesome. What? So where it really, where the movie really hits its stride then is where the new directive comes from the voice on the PA saying that 30 people have to be killed by any means necessary in the next two hours or 60 people will be detonated. Yeah. And keep in mind, there's only 80 people in this building. So it's either kill 
you know, 30 of the 80 or whatever's left, uh, 30 of the 79 or 78, whatever it is. And or your chances of being one of the people that is is killed is 60 out of 80. Yeah. So that's pretty high stakes. Yeah. So by this time, about five people have died, too. Well, yeah. So you've already upped your chances. So the odds are not ever in your favor, as they say in uh, Hunger Games. Like you're you're probably if 30 people aren't killed, you're probably going to to die. Yeah. So now the the philosophical argument enters in where Mike is of the the frame of mind that there are under no circumstances. Can we take do we have the right to take other people's lives? Right. Other people are having the discussion that if we don't kill 30, then 60 die. So how do we not do this? You know, if what we're trying to do is save lives. Um, So what's really interesting, though, is that and this is where we go back to Barry. Um, Tony Goldwyn's character being really interesting is that he doesn't just round everybody up and just start blasting away. Wait, yes, he does. Well, he's he starts to ask oh. questions. So he says, who here has a child under the age of 18? Right. So those people are exempt. And then he says, uh, OK, everybody over the age of 60. Oh, there's one guy in that scene who says one line. Where a guy's like, look, I'd like to send money to my parents to take care of my brother. He's like, is your brother made of your sperm? (laughs) Just hearing that one line, I'm like, oh, that's the voice actor from uh, that plays Dutch in uh, Red Dead Redemption. I looked up, sure enough. All I had to hear was one line. I'm like, I know that guy's voice. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And he had no other lines. I was waiting. So I could just be like, oh, yeah, definitely Dutch. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, so like he's, he's trying to... Um, trying to to mitigate the loss as much as possible by saying, I don't want to kill people who have little kids. Uh, I don't want to, I'll, if I have to kill somebody, I have to take somebody. I'm going to try to pick the people that are over half of their lifespan. Yeah. Um, so he tries to mitigate it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, coincidentally, he fits none of those categories. Yeah. Oddly enough. Right. Right. I mean, even Thanos knew you do it randomly. <laughs> Even Thanos knew you do it randomly, which someone is like, let's just do a lottery. Yeah. Which is how it should have been done. Right. As terrible as that is. Yeah. You all put your name in a bowl. The first 30 pulled out. You die. Sorry. So the so the real question is, um, if you were in that building and you have the choice now. Don't get me wrong. There are some people that come up with some other ideas. Let's try to hang some banners, uh, go up to the roof and hang banners to like have cars that pass by, know that we're being held captive. None of these plans end up working, but they are ideas. So let me ask you, and if you're not comfortable with answering, that's fine. I'm comfortable answering. Would you be on the side of saying we're not killing anybody and we're just going to use the time to try to figure out another way? Or would you say, we have to sacrifice the 30 to save the 60. Uh, yeah, I'd probably be of the let's find a way out of here. I'll I'll die before I kill someone. Okay. And there's I think that there's merit. To I think that. my family would understand that. Yeah. I don't think they'd look very highly on me if I was like, look, listen, I killed 20 people so I could get back here. Who wants to watch a movie with me? No one. Okay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, it was you're like I should have just fucking killed him. Right. Um but uh no, I'll tell you. I I I struggle with that, but only because 
of the way that he was trying to say, like, if if there is a lottery, right? Okay, if they do the lottery, and and you know that it was all just left up to chance, yeah. so that so that everybody's conscience is clean. But you, the lottery has been drawn, and you have one guy there who's sixty-seven years old, no wife, no kids, and then you have somebody there who's thirty years old, and they have like a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah, are you really going to be okay with that? Well, no, not okay with any of it. <laughs> okay, right. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, but I oh, yeah. Look, would I much rather kill an old person? Yeah, like right. if I had to like give an answer on that, sure. So yeah, I guess. But I, I'm not the type of person who's going to be like, I choose you because I say so. Right. Well, yes, and that's that's where the real ethics of this movie come into play, which is you know what what do we have the right to do, and even if we reason it out and even if it does make sense that yeah you don't kill people who have little kids um are you still doing something wrong by saying we have to kill now mike makes a really great point where he's like none of us are going to make it out of this alive anyway right they're not going to let us go after we kill 30 people which is a good point yeah but it's also a good point that they didn't end up killing the 30 people and 60 of them died so yeah now, some might say if you kill the 30, you you buy a little bit more time before the next thing. But I don't know. I, I it's it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah, I wouldn't feel happy. And about it's it, like, you know, I mean, I wasn't shocked when 30 more people died because that had to happen. It's not like this. I wasn't like this movie will end and there will be 25 people still alive. Yeah, it's like there will be w- one person. The person who I thought would be alive is not the one who was alive at the end. I thought it could have been a lot funnier ending uh, because we have our new employee, Danny. So, yeah, the first few kills, because you have David Desmalchin and Michael Rooker, they're working together. They're like the custodial guys. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, tensions are flaring a little bit and Polka Dot Man just racks him in the head with a wrench caves his skull in looks so cool not super gory but like and even at first i was just like it just looks like he has a cut and then just as he keeps moving his head you're like oh no that's dented yeah literally yeah the front corner of his head and so the new girl danny has been hiding and she like sees it and david desmalchian sees that she saw it and he approaches her and she like pushes him back to where his head gets like poked on a sticking out piece of rebar or whatever and he dies so yeah later in the movie it's like okay after they've killed the extra 30 with their heads exploding they're like okay now whoever is left and has killed the most amount of people will survive yeah and i thought the movie would end where i mean i knew it would be a final showdown either between mike and john c Riley or mike and tony goldwyn yeah I do not remember the character names yeah, in right. this at all. Um, and then they would maybe end up killing each other, and she would just win just by virtue of that accidental, or yeah, just like by the accidental death right. that she caused, she wins. And what's hilarious. And it's just like, it's my first day. You know. <laughs> what's hilarious about that, though, is that 
Yes. Um, uh, you thought that, that she was going to be the one to survive. Um, I watched the movie with somebody. They thought that she was going to be the last one to survive. Just sort of this, like, I'm going to, I don't want to say like a pacifist stance, but I'm just going to try. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to fight anybody. Right. I'm just going to try to, to get out of this thing with the least amount of, of trauma as possible. And the poor thing goes through a goddamn action movie to save herself, like to, to stay alive. She's, yeah hanging from rafters over like a, a 60 foot drop in an elevator shaft. She's, you know, having to swing across, you know, a, a, a gaping hole to land on some solid ground. She's faced n- a number of people who have tried to kill her. Like this poor thing has been through like die hard to survive. Yeah. And then the fucking elevator, when she finally drops into it, it opens up, ding, the door opens. And then Tony Goldwyn just blasts her in the yeah. head. And it's just Which like, is like, I guess funny in itself. And I, Obviously, I wasn't the only person. I mean, yeah. It was probably set up to be like, yeah, this girl might make it. Well, let, now let me ask but you that this. I just felt it wasn't as, um, you know, there's the <laughs> spoilers for the 20 year old movie, the, the Departed, but or however old it is now. But yeah. like, you know, when Leo dies, you're like, right. oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. But when it happened to her, I was like, oh, well, I'll, it brings up a good question. And it is something that you said a, a few minutes ago about. um about like the black comedy angle. The one question that I saw a lot of people bring up about this movie, and it was kind of what they wished it would have been. And I'm going to ask you this. Do you like the, the tone that this movie has, or do you kind of wish that they would have embraced the black comedy and maybe gone about it in a little bit more biting, satirical, violent way, like mom and dad, like the Nicholas guy. Yes. That you could actually work in a lot more like sort of, office corporate humor you know and yeah. and that sort of thing there makes- are so many things uh, yeah you're in this office building here's a big complaint i had like nearly everyone dies to a gun in this movie yeah you're in an office building like i wanted to see yeah one guy gets smashed with a tape dispenser great right i wanted more of that i wanted more you know if this is a social experiment i wanted more people like killing each other in secret like where yeah. a guy, you know, no one really is like acts outside of how I thought they would act. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, Mike at the end does kill some, excuse me, does kill some people. Yeah. Uh, which is definitely out of necessity and it's just out of, you know, like here's a broken man, whatever. Uh, but, you know, it's like I wanted to be like, OK, you know maybe groups forming and like you guys go figure out you know try and do whatever task the task doesn't matter but then they go off and while they're working on it just like one guy's like i gotta slit your throat sorry like i have to well yeah no there's even a part where god it was a perfect setup for that there's a part where kind of early on uh this woman and this man are sort of you know there's a group of people in the hallway and uh he kind of looks over at her and is like you know, what are you going to do? And she's like, I'm just looking for a place to hide. And he's like, come here with me. And then they just go into a room and it would have been great if they had just rounded the corner and he immediately strangled her. Right. You know, like that, that would be, you know, to really kind of amp up the, the dark comedy, the, the violence and, and make it more fun. I think, um, I think they could still get their point across about yeah. whatever it is they might've been going for. I be- needed a bad guy who like, then stopped being the bad guy. Yeah. We kind of had that, but he was still like the, the English guy who seemed really remorseful about being grouped up with the bad guys, but 
did not do anything against what they told him to do. Right. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I, I'm starting to see more of what you're saying about the, you know, uh, even in a state of emergency where you're going to kind of go to just your base instincts, um, just from a, a dramatic standpoint, there's just not, there's not a lot of twists and turns and, and interesting developments there. Yeah. Um, yeah, when somebody picks a side, they stay with that side, and that like it would have been something if Tony Goldwyn's character would have ultimately seen just how like psychopathic uh, uh, John C. McGinley's character was, and then like killed like, him. Not like that guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, like that. That could have been something. A little bit of although he had to get it from the girl he's been leering over. Oh was, yeah, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Leandra. Yeah, Ad- Adria Arjona. Who will be, uh, I was like, what has this lady been in? She will be in the next, if ever there was a movie, I hope fails miserably. It is the new Jared Leto movie, Morbius. Oh, <laughs> is that a, that's a comic, right? It is. It's so, then here's why I want it to fail. Superhero Corner, real quick. Because, yeah, it's like still, because Sony owns all the Spider-Man properties. Uh-huh. So they're like, oh, we can do our own. They had already tried to make building their own universe with the amazing Spider-Man movies with Uh the Andrew Garfield ones. Uh And they were fucking awful and they (laughs) shelved it. So now with the success of Disney's Marvel and their spider I mean, the new Spider-Man is the fourth biggest movie of all time now or the sixth. I think it's the sixth. Yeah, it's the sixth biggest movie of all time. Uh, it's been out for two weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah. So they're like, oh, we can still take our properties and build a cinematic universe around all these Spider-Man villains, which they had been trying to do with the original series. So, yeah, the Venom and the Morbius fucking Michael Keaton's vultures in the Morbius movie. It's like, God damn. Because uh, no, like, I'm not against a superhero or a Spider-Man cinematic universe, but Sony doing it, they will do it horribly. They already have Venom is not a good movie. Uh, and I doubt Morbius will be a good movie basically because Jared Leto is in it. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, hopefully I have a friend who wrote a great song, a very short song about how terrible Jared Leto is. I will be dropping it in here if I can get it in time. <laughs> Quick, you better run before he gets you in his cult. Is he an actor or a singer, Jared Leto? We hate Jared Leto. Credit to Nia D'Amelio, an awesome short song about how much Jared Leto sucks. Friend of the show. (laughs) Uh, Nia D'Amelio, not Jared Leto. (laughs) So she's going to be in that then. Well, poor thing, because I I like her in this movie. In fact, yeah. There, what one of the the interesting qualities that I think that a, a viewer has with this movie is that no matter what sort of person you are, you're probably going to find one of these characters that you identify with most. Where you're kind of saying like, okay, if I was in this situation, which is part of the neat quality of a movie like this, is that you can't help but say like, what would I do, you know, in this scenario? So it really stokes those fires in the viewer, and you're going to try to like say like, okay, I. I don't really like what they're saying. I don't like the way they're going about it. That's against my ethics. Her character was probably the one that I identified with the most because she was open to at least the discussion of possibly killing the 30 people. She wasn't out and out against it. 
She wasn't for it. Right. And ultimately showed some mercy when when it came her time to kill somebody that that she did ultimately have that that mercy aspect to her. Um, But she was also um, she was very, very focused. And we should mention the fact that her character is is romantically involved with Mike. I liked the fact that in the midst of all this, you know, the the killing, the the voice over the intercom, all of the madness that's happening is that she just wanted to find her boyfriend. Right. You know, and I, I thought that was very sweet. And they didn't overdo the love story in this. They didn't make it schmaltzy. Yeah. But it was just, I think, a nice additive to it to where she's like, you know, I mean, she's lived her whole life leading up to getting a job there with not knowing Mike. Right. But. For whatever reason, like in that moment, that's that's just what she wanted to hang on to. I got to yeah. find my boyfriend. Oh, yeah. The reason I brought her up was her. Yeah. So she one of the first times we see her is like John C. McGinley, like leering at her. Yeah. Like through her office window. And she even like sends him an instant message like, yeah, normally when people are caught staring, they look away. But he's still just like he's just uber creepy. Just that stereo alpha male kind of guy. Like Even his icon picture when his message comes up and he just has this like head tilt to the <laughs> right. side, like looks like just even a douchebag in his little icon. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just super douchey is, you know, very, uh, uh, I, I don't, I, he never is really forceful sexually, but is not, he does not he's get smarmy. it. Yes, yeah. He's very smarmy. Uh, and so, yeah, finally those two like meet up in a little showdown and she just gives it to him with an ax repeatedly in the face. And I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's so good. It's cathartic for all people. I, yeah, I, I like wa- that had to be like, if any, there was a moment in this movie where people stood up and cheered, it would have been that point. If there had been people in the theater, when you saw it, they probably would have stood up and cheered. I, yeah, part. I literally, I, I did watch this movie with somebody and they actually said like, that's my dream. <laughs> like, to me, I don't know if they literally meant act somebody's face apart, but I mean like to get that kind of revenge on yeah. somebody who never gets theirs, who yeah. acts however they want to. And there's no repercussions and are just insistent and make your life hell every day and yeah. be creepy and sexually, you know, uh, predatorial and that sort of thing but yeah boy does he get it and i love that they didn't and it was one of james gunn's insistences as producer is that you cannot lessen the gore like you have to have it gory yeah and we get probably i think i counted at least three good like mangled face axe shots oh yeah and uh you and that she's sending that thing right down the middle yep (laughs) it's awesome and uh she keeps going yeah (laughs) really really gets into it so that's fun i mean and and maybe in that moment when we're enjoying that it just goes back to what you were saying and what we're talking about with the black comedy thing if that's the kind of moment in the movie that we're watching and we're like fuck yeah that's awesome yeah maybe there should have been more of that maybe there should have been more of that that sort of like i don't know just make it's, it's weird to say make the violence fun but yeah. I mean, you know what this I mean? This movie could have had a lot of those moments where you're just like, oh, yeah. oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, God. Because but you right. have just like spurts of it. Well, like when right. John C. McGinley goes crazy with the cleaver. Like, yeah, he gets a lot of like good stabby kills in in like a minute. Yeah. Really funny joke where he slaughters a woman in the stall 
And then when he walks away, the door closes and there's a sign that says, please clean the stall for the next person. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's and that. Yes. And you're right. Maybe there should have been more of that. Well, definitely there should have been more. Of yeah. That. But in your you make a good point. But like too. what's you know, I don't if I can go back to this being the whole point of it being a social experiment experiment. Like what I don't I don't understand the bit then where you're like. I want to see how these people react to the situation. Also, I will give them eight guns. Right. Like that just makes it way too easy. Put these people in a situation where I have to use a stapler. Okay. To kill someone. Well, then you would be a bigger fan of uh, Battle Royale. Sure. Because, you know, that's where, you know, these kids, these Japanese kids are brought to an island. They become unruly and disrespectful. And now, you know, the, the parents have basically signed off on them having to go to an island and, and kill each other to the to the death. Yeah. Um, but like one person might be given an axe. The next person is given like a trash can lid. You know, yeah. like the next person is giving binoculars, like some of the thing they will all have their own value. Some are more valuable in, in violence, but they each have their value. You're right, because the point is made beautifully in the fact that when the security guard is stabbed, right, he's not shot. His head doesn't explode. And I do like the head explosions, but he's stabbed. And that kill probably feels the most hurtful. Yeah, I'm not saying emotional, but like. I've never been stabbed in the gut with a knife, but when that happens, it's so sudden and unexpected that you almost feel like how much that must fucking hurt. Yeah. And, and then so, he's just left there to bleed right. out. And he's such a nice guy, so too. Nice. What a sweetheart. And um, yeah, he can easily be like, yeah, I've got the keys to the guns. I'm going to go get the guns for myself. Right. But he's like, no. We're right. not fucking with these guns. Right. And and yeah, really likable character. Probably even the maybe the most likable in the whole movie. And he gets stabbed in the gut. And if if we're having that reaction to that stabbing, how much more would the movie have had to offer if we had had more variety of kills in, in all the other ways? Yeah. But you're right. It becomes a little gun foo at the end there where it's just guns a blazing and yeah I mean, one guy tries to make some molotov cocktails but I, yeah, I, that part's kind of awesome <laughs> right he just comes in winging these bottles at anyone yeah right and uh <laughs> yeah i did uh and, and the other thing i will say on a positive note even some of the no-name actors like uh i'm gonna throw out a name here uh just because it's so great rusty schwimmer yeah uh the the redhead lady who's yeah, real his likeable. secretary or whatever yeah um very likable character as well and she gets to have some of her revenge which is nice um but like who does she have revenge what does she do she is sort of attacked by um the one guy the bearded guy who's really mean yeah who is um, dutch yeah and the really she, big guy with the gray beard and he's yeah and yeah. he's about to kill her and then mike jumps on his back and then she stabs him right oh, in yeah, the, that's right, right in the gut so um but yeah so what's nice is that all of these other fill-in characters uh really do have their little own bits of personality the one weirdest one though is the guy with kind of the thick frame glasses and the sort of like vincent van gogh beard yeah puts himself in the freezer yeah is very mentally unstable from the beginning yeah that guy is really weird but <laughs> we don't get much from him no and I'm, i feel almost like maybe i'm we're missing something there but, but he's very visually distinct from everyone yeah yeah. Yeah. He was the only one that I had a little uh, trouble kind of placing what they were going for there. But everybody else is pretty immediately relatable. There's a really um, 
like he's kind of just works in the office. Um, he's just a fun, friendly, um, uh, you know, kind of, we're assuming gay, uh, friend of, in the, in the office. And yeah. he's really nice and he's funny. He's got a really great line about when, you know, uh, when Barry says that somebody's like, um, you know, it pre- presents the idea of the banners and he's like, you know, that idea is as good as me jerking off in a cup in the, you know, the corner or whatever. And then the one gay guy just goes, well, I could do that. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. And yeah, he's um, got a funny moment when, uh, cause he rides the elevator down, sees Danny and is like, oh, come get in the elevator. So they're like hiding. They like, you know, climb up the top of the elevator. So they're on top of the elevator. And then the loudspeaker is like, this is the part where it's like whoever has the most kills will win and it's going through has the kills and it's like and Danny whatever her last name with one and he's like comforting her with his arm around him and he's like oh god like yeah. takes his head and moves over to the side <laughs> yeah. very funny very once funny. he hears it yeah she's a killer yeah no they, so yeah I guess we keep circling around to the idea that that our favorite parts of this movie were comedy related. And that and that if they had amped that up a little bit, gotten a little bit more creative with the kills, amped up the comedy that we would have gotten more out of it. Now, James Gunn would have done. Absolutely. Absolutely. You watch like that. The opening beach scene in. Oh, yeah. Suicide Squad. And you're like, man, I wish this movie were an hour of that. (laughs) Right. Well, and and that's where I'll, I'll finally kind of talk a little bit about what I was saying about the differences between what's on the page and. And what ended up on the screen. So, you know, James Gunn dreams this up. Uh, literally, he he writes it. And he's a guy, like, he's always talked about. He has, a, like, an unquenchable interest and and thirst for knowledge about just humans and, and how they react in situations and why they react the way they do and just human psychology in general. So that's really what he wrote this movie as. Now, the director saw it more as a exploration of the evils of big corporations and the corporate structure. He even went so far as to say that he felt that the characters that John C. McGinley and Tony Goldwyn played were more right leaning, like a conservative and that milk or milk. (laughs) Yeah, I guess milk. Uh, Mike Milch represented uh, like the left and, and more liberal side. So he was already sort of picking sides and assigning sort of political leanings. And I think he, he really pushed that agenda. Um, even especially with the corporate thing, although I like the choice where when we have the final showdown between Mike and Barry that they accidentally trip the like PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> so it's this like, you know, Belco Industries, yes. you know, you can reach you. your full potential as he's like <laughs> just smashing him in the face with the right. tape dispenser. Yeah. So that that part was good. But I I think that what he sort of missed was that I don't really think the movie is about, I mean, it takes place in a, in a corporate building and obviously there's, I guess some little hints and and innuendo there about the corporate world, but I think it's supposed to be a lot more just about a kind of a, a basic setting picking the most basic setting that you could possibly find. And then just, you know, having uh having this hell break loose and an emergency breakout, um and and seeing how those people react i think that's what he was going for yeah but especially considering at the end which i know you didn't care for yeah we'll talk about the end ultimately at the end you know and i I won't go into it right now but um we get a a much bigger picture that really has 
kind of null and voids the whole corporate angle completely. Yeah. And that um, that it really has nothing to do with that at all. Well, but they're also a corporation. Well, yeah, you could say that. Well, they're a, a, a global organization. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but to me, that represented. Yeah. At first, it was like, oh, you know, here is as we're killing Americans because all the Colombians get sent home. They're not part of the experiment. It's yeah. All the expats that are in here. Yeah. So at first, it's like, oh, is this movie, a, you know, a statement about maybe a country's feelings about Americans coming in and working and them wanting to get rid of them, kill them, whatever. But then the end is really about multinational corporations who are faceless, ambiguous, and uh, do control a lot and are feel and you just feel out of their control. Yeah, and and so ultimately when um yeah, I might as well get right to it with the ending. Yeah, there's um, not much more to talk. So, about. uh so when when Mike does uh, emerge as the only one left, I mean, it's not that he certainly didn't have the most kills, but he's the only one alive. So right. These, yeah. You know, by de default, facto, he had yeah. one. Yeah. So um, he's led over into this adjacent building, this old um, abandoned uh, hangar uh, for, for airplanes and aircraft and that sort of thing. And he's brought in there and there's this weird little setup with, you know, a bunch of monitors and a guy with a really kind of awesome like facial scarring yeah and was, uh and uh, that actor is really recognizable he usually kind yeah, of plays Henry the greg i think his name is hold on i'll look it up uh oh my god well you might know him so from um oh yeah greg henry sorry all of our thousands of listeners who are overly familiar with ballistic x versus sever <laughs> well, yeah he isn't everyone's that. seen that movie <laughs> so <laughs> One of the worst titles ever, but um, he was in a uh, Sylvester Stallone movie. He was in Payback with uh, Mel Gibson. Okay, Payback. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's usually plays the heavy, the the bad guy. Yeah. You know, the kind of you know the the kind of the um, he's the, either the bad guy or the good guy who turns out to be bad. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So yeah, he's he's fitting for this movie, and that ultimately what he explains because obviously the first question out of Mike's mouth is why you know why are you doing this? Why did you do all this? Yeah. And he said that what it is is a uh, a multi uh, an international group of people who feel that social scientists should be allowed to study. Uh, human behavior uh, kind of unencumbered yeah. and uh, and he's like well did you, for what reason and he's like well you know maybe to build a better world right and so that that's a little interesting to me I think that that's that's thought-provoking um the idea True. of we want to see how people react in emergency situations so that if we do ultimately plan some sort of con we want to increase our control and influence over people and if we can study them how they are under pressure we can be prepared for that yeah in in our execution of whatever that may be yeah so it's a little bit of a i don't even know how to describe it i mean it it's feels a little, a little cheap yeah, yeah it's very cheap it's just like yeah we just want to see what happened you know finding out what happened right which i could have told you how 95% of the people in there would have reacted like no again no one surprised me right how they reacted um so then the, the the as the the movie ends you know the camera pulls away and says well, wait let's get to a stupid part let's oh, get yeah. a stupid part out oh here. yeah okay right okay so there is a part earlier where we see Sean Gunn he's come up with a great idea 
where he's all the people who have been shot have not been exploded yet are now digging the bombs out of people's necks. Yeah, it looks and like a like, little BB, sort yeah, of like a large BB. Yeah, 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 just a little silver ball. And he's like, I don't know. And uh, one of the ladies is like, what are you going to do with that? Or lead lady. I forget her name again. He's, she's like, what are you going to do with that? And he's like, I, I don't know, like put it up against the metal door and try and blow it up. Like what the fuck else are we supposed to do? Um, And so, yeah, so then Mike actually comes in possession of all those bombs and you know the these when, when he wins these guards come in and take him away yeah he like j- grabs the burn face guy he's like why why did you do this now we find out later he's actually been planting all those bombs on people like when he grabs the guards or whatever he plants a little bomb on them and then he lunges for the control board and just hits all the things except for his own. He knows yeah. not to swiftly because there's a whole control board with switches and people's names. And that's how they've been detonating the bombs. Um, and so then he, like those explosions kill everyone in there. Uh, that kind of bothered me because it's, uh, you know, they obviously have cameras everywhere in this place. Uh, they set some rules, but then if people start doing something like they're going to hang the banners, they're like, Okay, don't hang any more banners. We see that you're doing this. Right. Like they can see the most minute things people are doing. I find it hard to believe they would just be like, yes, it's okay if this guy is just accumulating bombs. Right. Or if they wouldn't deactivate the bomb after a person has died. Right. Or something like that. So just to allow this guy and and that they wouldn't have seen him put them in his pocket. There's five people left. Who the fuck are they looking at? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, they the the only where he's like, where are these bombs now? Like, you don't know. Right. Yeah. Like the the only thing that you could say is that um, especially the tracker. Well, I don't know. Is is it does it have tracking capabilities or is it just a bomb? I'm not sure. But right. um, But I would assume it probably has tracking capabilities or at least part of it did. Yeah. But either way, it's a little a little plausible in that. The bombs have already been the little, you know, or I should say large BB looking things have already been pulled out of people's heads by uh, Sean. Is it Sean Gunn? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Gunn's character. Um, So all Mike has to do is kind of just like swoop them up and then put them in his pocket. So that you could maybe make that plausible that it but you're right. I mean, the idea of him planning those because he doesn't even know what he's walking into. He doesn't exactly. even know that there's going to be a control, a control plan. thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit, little bit of a <laughs> stretch to there. Like me, Tim, there, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I get more cynical <laughs> by the episode, but uh, um, also that it's like I'm I'm okay with the like faceless group who's running this. I don't have an issue with that. Earlier in the movie, we have our two custodial guys. They're like after the metal walls have come up, they're like, we'll just get a blowtorch. We'll try cutting through it doesn't make a dent in it at all also is not hot to the touch after they've had a blowtorch on it so you're like whoa what is this yeah but it doesn't turn out to be like it's aliens or something it's just kind of like other people why the fuck did you need to use a unknown metal element to lock people in? like steel would have been fine yeah they're not getting out right yeah and if you're like hey if you cut through the steel we blow your head up well, that's true. So weird. Okay. Like yeah. just kind of a dumb, like, whoa, what does this mean? Nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Okay. okay. Why I use that? Anyway, 
Um, yeah. So then, as uh, if you want to say the very end, go ahead, and then I'll rail against that as well. Well, yeah, just <laughs> that you know the camera sort of pulls away from all these monitors. Like we get we get a shot of after Mike has uh, you know detonated all those bombs in the hangar. You know the whatever eight nine guards that are around him of our are dead. He has shot the the guy that was the voice of the instructions. You know and uh, blasted away at him. And then he kind of wanders outside in a sort of, you know, just state of exhaustion and sort of, you know, collapses to the ground. And then the camera sort of pulls away. And then we see multiple monitors of people sort of experiencing the same thing. We're we're guessing all over the world. Right. So that we know that this experiment wasn't just Mike, that they're doing this all over the world. And that this and then a voice comes on and it says, you know, uh, first phase complete. Uh, begins second phase. Yeah. So you're supposed to be be left to be like, okay, well now do these hit people have like a tournament of champions or right. like what, what happens here? <laughs> or you know, is it is it that this global group now has gathered the information that they want and now they're going to try to take over the world? Who knows? I didn't. I, I didn't. I don't want to paint the wrong picture here. I didn't dislike the idea of that international entity that's kind of like the the secret uh government that you know kind of controls the world yeah it's just that there were zero hints of that at all uh throughout the entire movie so for it to come in at the end to some people might feel a little cheap it didn't bother me a whole lot oh yeah but um but i do think i mean that part made more sense than it would be some like work related right reason like, yeah just so we had an hr we were uh, Hemorrhaging cash. So that's why. So that's why I think that uh, that Don McLean or not Don McLean. He was the one that did uh, American <laughs> Pie. Time ago. <laughs> the, what's his name? The director? Uh, uh, Greg McLean. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. That that directed the day the Belco died. Um. <laughs> he uh he went with that corporate like the kind of anti corporate angle. And I don't know. It's just kind of like if there was ultimately some larger entity that was the reason for all of this happening and everybody that worked at Belco seemed like relatively happy. Um, is that really the story here? Because when I want to say this, when he did bring this to the producers um, about like, hey, I want this final fight to be, you know, I want the PowerPoint presentation to come on and sort of be this comment on on the the collapse of the corporate structure or the innate evil or whatever they they actually responded with saying like well that's not what's on the page that's not the story that james gunn wrote yeah and he's like well yeah but i i kind of want to do it in this way and i think it would be neat and james gunn eventually is like yeah okay that that sounds kind of cool um but yeah, i'm working with kurt russell right now do whatever you want right exactly <laughs> so um yeah i just uh I, I think that that kind of misses the boat a little bit that it that it is supposed to be more about just the what humans do in these crazy situations. I think that's far more interesting than yeah. right versus left or, you know, the evils of, of corporate America. I, I, I just think the human I needed angle. something, though, that showed that the, you know, people facilitating the test. I need them to be smarter. Okay. Uh, they're super dumb letting him walk in with these bombs. Then at the end, am I supposed to assume where it shows all these other people who are like, uh, you know, like, oh, mad. One guy is actually like looking into the camera. I'm like, does he know that he's right. still being watched? Um, you know, have they killed all the guards and the voice? Right. Also, 
Oh yeah, good you know, point. Did, did they know all of those people would die? Do they have information that shows that this last survivor will be the last survivor and that he will do all the things they predict he's going to do? Like, what was it about Mike? Like, I, I needed something like, well, actually, in your profile, look, all these things show that, yeah, although you think you're this type of person, you're actually this type of person. Yeah. Right, and we just wanted to see if we could get that out of you, or something like that. But well, no, I, but I and what you just said is beautiful, because that is that's far more interesting to me. The the what's the hypothesis of this fucking experiment? <laughs> right. That's what I need to know. Well, I I love what you just said, and even if this isn't the hypothesis, it's it's interesting. In conservative versus liberal, right versus left, that is f- boring to me. By comparison to what you just said about, um, you know, you think that you're this kind of person, but we're going to show you that you're actually this kind of person or yeah. that it turns out that you are you are capable of, of things that you never thought you were capable of. Kind of back to that that shock experiment that you were talking about earlier in the beginning of the, the episode, yeah. you know, to see what people are, are really capable of that. That to me is interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, and I think that they could have explored that more, coupled it with the humor, and ended up with a better film. Now, I don't want to say that I dislike this movie, because I I mean, you heard me say it. I really love this movie, yeah. and I, I really was pushing for us to do this, because I think it's really neat. It's just, um, well, like you said, it all comes down to this. It, had James Gunn actually done it, it, we probably would have a better movie. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it, it, that's not to say that it's not fun along the way. I mean, your first time watching this, I mean, it really is like, oh, shit. Like, you know, things yeah. just got or at crazy. least a movie that made me more uncomfortable, like his movie Super. I would not say is a great movie, but there are certainly scenes in it that have stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, had an effect. I haven't seen that. It's, it's worth watching. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we, we had a really good idea here. I think it's really cute that he was. He was so excited about the fact that he dreamt it because he remembered that Sean Cunningham had uh, dreamt the the intro for uh, Friday the 13th, uh-huh. uh, the teaser trailer. And so he's like, yes, like it worked for Sean Cunningham. It's going to work for me. Um, so, yeah, I think it's I think it's neat that that this idea came to him that way. Um, and uh, but but because it came from a dream, not to say that it can't be developed, but that probably just shows right there that it's. Maybe it's not meant to have a whole bunch of social commentary. Maybe it's meant to just be a a wild ride. Let's watch people go crazy and kill each other in weird ways. Yeah. And that and that's got merit on its own. Sure. So it's fun. Sure. But if you're gonna because, you know if you're gonna provide me with right. the possibilities of that, yeah. Then just make it about fucking a bored guy who uh, wanted to kill people. I don't know. I mean, you know, you, I, I've mentioned a couple times that movie that we we covered. I just really love this movie. I kind of forgotten about it until I I watched this again, but or when we were talking about it. But Mom and Dad, the yeah. Nicolas Cage movie. I mean, they could have gone in some sort of shit ass direction about like the breakdown of the family unit and blah blah blah, and like tried to make it more complicated than it was. But it was it was so great because they didn't do that. Right. I mean, they hinted at it a little bit between, you know, a scene between the mom and the dad talking about how their lives didn't turn out the way that they had always dreamed that they would. We get a little bit of that. Yeah. But they don't try to make it schmaltzy. They're just like, hey, what's really fun is watching these parents kill their kids. Right. Let's go with that. 
And so maybe they should have realized that in this movie. Like, what's really fun is watching these people go batshit and kill each other with, like, office supplies. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, you can do both, you know. Right. I don't need a half hour of how they set up the experiment and shit like that. Right. Just uh, better reasoning, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I it's still it's still a recommend for me. Can, can I at least get a recommend out of you? Uh, yeah, I'd okay. say I recommend it. Sure. Okay. Because it has its fun moments and. But yeah, it's nothing you're going to be like, whoa, didn't see that coming. Yeah, and it's also... Especially if you've listened to this, because we've told you everything. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's still, I would, I would, you know, actually, there are some people that I I have told the, pretty much the full plot to and uh, and still watched it and liked it. So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a watch, um, especially if you're... You know, there are some people out there that just don't care for sort of the traditional slasher in the woods. Um, they just don't connect with that or whatever. Yeah, but that's this might be more up your alley. Yeah. Oh, I did, this is a total tangent, but just because when they revealed that Greg Henry was the voice. Yeah, because I've seen that guy in a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy was the voice like did not sound like his voice at all. No, but I that voice reminded me of. This is a really out there there was there's an ad so there's this uh ice cream called halo top yeah it's like a carb yeah carb free ice cream they had an ad that i saw in a movie theater that played before a movie once the only time i've seen it and it was so fucked up and like i this ad is so good it's essentially like this woman wakes up this old woman wakes up in like this stark white like it looks like a almost like an operating room, like a waiting room or something. Just kind of a stark yeah. white room, and this like fucking robot comes is like slowly going toward her, and she's just like, "What's going on here?" And he's like, "Please be comfortable." But like the so the voice of this robot sounded just like it, but the robot's super twisted. Like the the commercial ends with like. You know, like the robot's like, you should eat ice cream. And then like its chest will open and this like cone like comes out <laughs> and she's just like, you know, and it like puts a spoonful in her mouth. She's like, that's that's really good. And he's like, eat more ice cream. And she's just like, where where is Robert? <laughs> and you just hear the robot. You go, everyone, you know, is gone. There is only ice cream. Oh, and she's awesome. just like what it's like she's dead and this robot now is just force feeding her ice cream forever. oh my god that is but the robot voice of everyone you know is gone there is only ice cream <laughs> that's when the chest opens and like the cone comes oh, out. oh that's all i've got to look that up yeah i'll show it to you after this um, it's so good but no you're right though like uh, that's something but that, that voice the robot voice sounded exact when i play you that you'll be like is that Greg yeah. Henry doing the voice of that robot. Well, and the, and that's the thing, because I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. It might sound like a small detail, but especially if you're going to give Mike the line, you're the voice. Right. Okay? So he has the line when he's brought into the hangar and he hears, um, you know, that actor speak it. And he immediately says, you're the voice. Almost kind of like like all of us are supposed to collectively be like, oh, that's him. <laughs> right. But it doesn't. So you're no. right. It doesn't sound a thing like him. Or give get a guy with a distinct voice, right? Because the voice on the intercom sounds like a guy who's probably like I don't know, twenty years younger, <laughs> right? You know, and uh, yeah, like certainly it, not one who survived a fire. No, no, and this guy clearly <laughs> has uh, barely. But um, yeah, so that that was. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a little weird. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, no, overall, really fun movie. Uh, pro- probably could have been better. I know that you had, you and I were talking and you were giving it a grade of about a B. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with that because right. I, I think it had a potential, but um, but it probably lands right at yeah. a, a B. You're the parent who's okay with a C and I'm like, I demand an A. Yes. As, and we both gave it a B. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it works. It works either way, both ways. So, Yeah. <laughs> I now am the parent who's like, as long as you try, I don't care. Right. I can't I can't rail on anyone about grades at all. At all. I shouldn't. Yeah, I do. Grades were bad. <laughs> they were bad. It's like my kid was working on a project this weekend. I'm like, what? You're not gonna wait until Sunday night at eight to start it? <laughs> Weirdo. Yeah, just make sure that if you ever do that, I, I don't think anybody will have a problem now because not many kids use video cameras anymore. No. But uh, I know that there was an assignment that I turned in that was filmed on video that had the date that was the <laughs> Sunday night before Monday listed prominently on the screen. So, uh, yeah, the teacher got a kick out of that. Yeah. I remember, like, I had to do something for a class, like an audio recording. Like doing it while my mom's in the car, like waiting to take me to school. I'm like, I can give me 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. So that was the Belco experiment from 2016. Uh, Tim, next week, we're staying current. This one's even more current. This is one where people will be like, is that a horror movie? I think it is. I think it's a movie that as time has gone on, more people have accepted it as a horror movie. Okay. It's not your conventional horror movie, uh, but it's from 2018. It's Annihilation. I know nothing of that movie. Oh, good. Absolutely nothing. Good. Uh, it's a girl power movie. I'll say that. Okay. But not in a, not in a, it, here, here's what I'll say going into that movie. It is a girl power movie. They make absolutely, except for maybe one line, there is like no, uh, you know, impetus, uh, emphasis. Right. Okay. On that. Like so Spice World. Okay. <laughs> Yes, this is the horror spice world. <laughs> well, like good. Spice I'm looking world. forward to. It. I, 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 uh, I, yeah. I literally know nothing about. It. Usually, I like to, you know, just for my own interest, I like to read up on movies. It actually amps up my desire. Even if I see a spoiler, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to enjoy watching the movie. I think because I know s- literally nothing about this movie, I think I'm just going to go into it absolutely clean. Good. Just, yeah, I can't Perfect. wait. Perfect. It's one of those slow. Bur- it's a slow burn, but okay. it's it's good. Uh, a lot of body horror. I'll say that. Ooh. A lot of body horror. Ooh, okay. Okay. So yeah, that's next week. Annihilation from 2018. Uh, please check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Shoot us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Do you like your job? Would you kill your coworkers? Huge <laughs> thanks to our patrons. Uh, you help make this show possible. Uh, oh, kind of a shout out. We we, we have a lot of like uh, communique with other like horror podcasts. Yeah. But we were put, uh, got in touch with a podcast that's kind of out of our bubble bottled up bitches i'll give them a shout out yeah they were like hey we love your podcast they were like one of the first ones to give us a rating on spotify so thank you to them uh check out i'll say check out their podcast it's pretty it's pretty racy for adults only (laughs) yeah bottled up bitches they are funny yeah Yeah, very funny and they seem to like horror movies too so they're pretty they're cool in our book yes so yeah check them out annihilation next way okay yeah tim do you got anything else to say about the belco experiment well just that i know that we've talked a little bit before about having some some i don't know do people use the still use the term swag anymore sure (laughs) merchandise merch swiggity swag 
yes, for our uh, for our show here. And we do really want to make the I Heart TNA shirts kind of in that that style of the I Heart New York. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, what do you think about um, now taking a line? It wasn't a spoken line in this movie. It was a written line. But what do you think about uh, TNA sucks my vag? <laughs> <laughs> because... That has a real ring to it. Um, yes. The, yeah. the Belco sucks my vag. Yeah. To, I, Tony I'm like, Goldwyn I, gets a scene at the end. Like, just no one appreciate what I, the company I've provided. Yes. Yeah. I, I am going to use that for sure. As yeah. As I read that, that like, TNA sucks my vag. <laughs> my wife's like, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll go on that one. See yes, you, too. Bye.